Welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I'm your host for the ad space, Kevin Estella. And today for the advertisements, I just want to bring up two companies. Uh, you just got to remember two, Black Rifle Coffee and Six Hour. Um, Black Rifle Coffee, if you use our code CRAFT15, you'll get 15% off of your order over at their website. Uh, now this in- excludes, not includes, excludes EX. New releases, uh, bundles, ready to drink stuff. It's a one-time use code for one-time purchase over um, over there at Black Rifle Coffee. Now, guys, we love Black Rifle Coffee. We drink it every single day. Just Black, uh, Blackbeard's Revenge, Flying Elk, you name it. They got some good stuff brewing over there in Salt Lake City. And uh, we constantly have it over here at Fieldcraft Survival. So please go over and support our good friends, Black Rifle Coffee Company. That is www.blackriflecoffee.com. And you can find them on all the socials, Instagram, YouTube. I think they're on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, uh, Twitter for sure. And uh, check out some of the stuff that they're doing. They're doing some pretty interesting projects. Mike Lover's even jumping into a rally car thanks to the folks over at Black Rifle Coffee. So check them out. The other sponsor for this podcast is Sig Sauer. Now, my background on Six Hour, I grew up in Connecticut. I was only two hours away, two and a half hours away from uh, the Six Hour Academy. Uh, taken probably close to, I think, just under 20 courses. I think I'm at 19 uh, courses at Six Hour. Uh, advanced carbine, cold weather carbine, close quarter carbine, low light carbine, uh, long range pistol, pistol 102.5 all the way through 104, bullets on vehicles. Um, you know, precision rifle reach for a thousand guys, six hour does some really, really good training. They're in my opinion, the gold standard of training in this country. And, you know, I'll tell you that a lot of the guys here carry six hour pistols. Uh, I happen to be a SIG 320 armorer. Um, I'll tell you guys that they're, they've got some groundbreaking stuff. Um, definitely, definitely enjoy heading back to new England, visiting family, taking a trip up there from time to time, walking through the pro shop, seeing all the cool stuff that's out there. And I'll tell you, like the thing lately that's really been catching my eye with SIG, uh, I like their uh, rifle optics that are synced up to their range finders. And, you know, it's amazing technology. You can take a total novice and, and make them a crack shot at great distance. So please check them out. Uh, big shout out over there to my buddies, Dylan Kennison, Chris Cavallero, a bunch of the instructors I haven't, uh, you know, forgotten about you guys. I'll get to calling you out next time. So please check them out. Sixhour.com. That's S-I-G-S-A-U-E-R.com. Guys, we're going to get down to this podcast right now featuring this one is Austin Lester and uh, Mr. Barclow. Here we go. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Fieldcraft Podcast. This is the host for the podcast. This is Austin. And today I'm super excited for the podcast because uh, I've got a guest that is someone I've been following, someone I got a lot of respect for in this industry, in this space of survival and preparedness. And his name is John Barclow. John, what's up, man? What's up? Can man. I call you Savage? You can, man. Call me whatever you want. Savage, Savage works. You Austin know? doesn't seem to fit. It doesn't now, and right? I, and I forget it. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, man. Savage is easy. It's, right it's easy. So it works for me. Um, so, guys, if you're not familiar with John, uh, you should be. Uh, John, just kind of tell everybody who maybe isn't, just tell them a little bit about you and kind of your background. Yeah, so I, I guess the relevant part of that is uh, I did 26 years uh, with the Navy in the military. 20 of those were in direct support of Naval Special Warfare. 
And a lot of that was in the, the training environment, right? So um, I basically had two, I like to say I had two skill sets that I was really good at. One was diving. That's where I started my career. Um, but really leading up to 9-11 and then after that, you know, the world changed for all of us. And they needed, they needed some skill sets to train guys to go into the mountains, obviously, of, of Afghanistan. I was one of uh, maybe a dozen guys handpicked at the time to go and, and kind of stand up a cadre to not just train guys, not just develop the, the tactics, the TTPs, right, uh, from a really a forgotten uh, type, type of warfare, yeah. you know, that we didn't necessarily see coming. Right. Uh, but we also had to build the equipment and then put a training plan together, right? So that's what I did in the military. And it, it was great because from a training aspect, from a learning aspect, you know, at one point I'm a student and we're working with some of the best people in, in the industry, you know, be it survival instructors, alpine climbers, avalanche forecasters, whatever it is. And then I am the one teaching. And so that that feedback loop of learning, writing a curriculum, teaching, seeing how the student kind of digests that, modifying that curriculum to make it more effective and then continuing to build your own personal skill set. So I think, you know, you and I talked about this a little earlier today where when we're, when I'm out in the mountains, as an example, with, with students, hmm. I'm still in the same environment they are. I am yeah. still subject to the same environmental conditions and I am, I am subject to making mistakes like all of them, but they're relying on, on me. Right. Right. So having that, that different mindset uh, really kind of opened my eyes to a lot of things. And it wasn't just making my craft better and what I like to call becoming a student of the game. Yeah. Uh, but also, you know, how people digest information, how they learn. There's no one way to do anything. There's multiple ways and one may work for you better than, another may work for somebody else. Right. Yeah. So anyways, that was my kind of military career. Yeah. When I was getting ready to retire, I wanted to work in an industry that I was passionate about. Hunting seemed like a really good fit. And I just got lucky and was able to get a job with Sitka gear. And the job that I got, I was the first, what they call big game product manager. So I was able to go in and build out a product line of clothing that help big game hunters. And to me, a big game hunter, I'll define that, is basically a person who goes into the mountains, goes in the wilderness, backcountry, whatever, and uh, stays there for a period of time and they're looking for an animal. And that animal could be an elk, a mule deer, etc. Well, the synergies between the hunting aspect in the mountains and what I did in the military, which was also hunting in the mountains, the synergies were the same, you know, the backpacks were the same, the clothing or the capability of the clothing had to be the same. The weapon was different, the quarry was different, but there was a lot of synergies. So yeah. I came in with a lot of ideas. I came in with a lot of knowledge and I came in with a lot of enthusiasm to try to change, help change the industry, which I thought sick was a perfect fit for me. I've been there seven years now. Um, it's been really cool to build out systems and kind of try to bring innovation and technology to the market. But really, you know, my passion's always been teaching people because 
what's the point of spending three years building a product yeah. if, if the people actually don't know how to use it? So 100%. anyways, I'm, I'm right where I need to be. I've been yeah. a lucky guy so far in my life. So, yeah. uh, that's awesome. yeah. So that, that's kind of me in a nutshell. Yeah. No, that's awesome, man. And so it, a lot of what you said obviously resonates with me and we've been talking about it for the last couple of days. Um, so it's, it's important for me and to kind of being in this position, this podcast, to be able to take a lot of your knowledge and your experience and share that. Right. So now, uh, and cause obviously at Fieldcraft is what we do a lot of yeah. part that knowledge to someone else, to people, to the end user. Right. And now we're just not in the military doing it anymore. We're just teaching the civilian populace. So, um, but product development, like building out systems, it's a unique space and how much of that did you derive from your own lifestyle outside of the military? Did a lot of that come from, you started hunting early? Yeah, well, um, so to answer your question a lot, so I, I, I kind of, I am who I am, right? Mm-hmm. I, I've been fortunate enough to, the things I've done professionally are all the solid things I do personally. Mm-hmm. So it, it really doesn't seem like work to me. Like yeah. I'm never off work because I'm always thinking about something yeah. But, you know, the reality was I, I started out like everybody else. I mean, I remember loading up a bunch of uh, beef stew and, and raviolis and cans in, in, a, in a knapsack and taking a it wasn't a Silver Ranger compass. It was some Linzatic compass, a map I didn't know how to read. And I wandered out into the woods and I froze my ass off and I couldn't build a fire. <laughs> and that's how it started, you know. But I always had a, I always had a passion to, you know, to kind of figure it out and, and make it better and. And, and so, you know, part of what got me onto that select cadre that was able to, you know, build out this winter warfare capability, um, all those skill sets were skill sets I was building on my own. I was actually, I wasn't sure if I was going to stay in the military. I was going through the American Mountain Guide program, tried to become, you know, a ski guide, a climbing guide, something along those lines. I had no idea that those skill sets would serve me and, you know, in some regard, the community or the country, right. To, to help. Um, but yeah, it, when I, when I left work, I was still thinking about it, doing it. And, right. and, and it's, I'm the same way today. I am not a, I'm a very hands-on person. So all the things I used to do in the military testing gear, I still do. I, I personally test everything mm-hmm. that I build with the team, right. It's not, I don't farm it out to other people. Yes, I do give it to other people, very select group that I respect their opinion, uh, but I respect my opinion too. Right. And my testing methods, and I think testing is different than wearing, but my testing methods are, you know, could be considered extreme, but I build to the worst case scenario because yeah. that's that's what I knew, right? And I've, I've seen guys in the shit, I've been in the shit. And yeah. when other people are in that situation, you know, they need to know that it works and it's not just some marketing fluff. Right, yeah, and man. You know, I'm right there with you on that mindset because for me, that way of life was just like ingrained in me early too. you know, growing up in North Carolina, really rural, you know, I did the same thing, man. I was in Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts <laughs> yeah. where I was like, oh, this is the coolest shit I've ever done in my life. And I'm like five minutes off somebody's back porch and I might as well have been in Jurassic Park. You exactly. know what I mean? And like now being in a, in this community of people where, and especially being able to take some of the things that I've learned just literally through experience and pass that on to other people. It's awesome because I'm the same way. I don't feel like I'm at work because when I'm at home, 
I'm thinking up a new way of trying to teach this thing or like I'm, I'm researching into these new layering systems or I'm trying to actually like go out in the mountains and, and hike and hunt and camp and actually live the life. And it's funny because I, I made a meme not that long ago. It's like uh, it was like this guy like looking off in the sky and it was like, you know, sometimes I wonder if layering systems are out there thinking about me, too. You know, <laughs> so, awesome. yeah, I was like, I was like, dude, this because I saw the meme somewhere. I was like, oh, it's so applicable. So I made it. I got like a ton of like DMs about it, you know, but it's it's true, man, because guys like us, I think because we love living it so much, it just naturally makes sense to actually try to harness some of that information knowledge experience and pass it along to other people because that's yeah. you know the betterment of everyone else is at really the core of probably anybody that's joined the military it, even rather it's like i want to join for because i want to fight the war i want to join because i want to have the tightest group of dudes to my left and right whatever it is that's at the core of it and i think it's just awesome when we can find these paths that just naturally work right so i i really uh resonate with that for sure man so well you know i um I realized, you know, working for Sitka helped me satisfy at least part of a desire to, you know, to help to kind of pass on some knowledge. But what I realized, like I begrudgingly came to social media, like I made fun of it for a long time. I used to have one cat picture on there, like the whole thing. But what I realized one day, we don't have to go into the why, but that I had all this knowledge I felt was relevant and people could really benefit from it. Mm-hmm. And I realized I was just selfish by not at least trying to pass it on. So the way I approach it is, you know, I leverage social media to do that. Uh, if, if you like it, if you, you know, if you can find something to help you find, if you don't like it, I'm really not going to engage with you on any kind of argument. Yeah. It's like, maybe it's just not for you, right? Maybe yeah. that message isn't for you. Maybe the environment you work in, or situations you've been in, you know, that isn't relevant to you, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But if there's somebody out there that I, you know, can talk to, can help, yeah. then then that's cool, you know? And yeah. so that makes me feel good that I'm passing on that knowledge and it's not kind of just, quote, dying with me. Yeah, definitely, man. It's, it's important um, because I think, unfortunately, a lot of guys, uh, you know, like my dad is one of those guys too, man. Like my dad, I've been fishing with my dad my whole life and, I don't think I've ever been fishing with him. He didn't catch something. That's no bullshit. But I'm like, dad, you got to like, you need to write a book. You need to like do something. And he's like, I'm not going to write a book. Like he's like, I didn't even graduate high school. I had to go get my GED when I was 40. I'm like, it doesn't matter, man. Like write right. it in a journal. Like, because I want that information and he's forgotten more than I'll ever know about fishing. Right. But somebody yeah. out there is going to benefit from that. It's like, it's important for guys. Uh, I think it's important. Because uh, I feel that same kind of conviction of like, yeah, no, I, I mean, you and I are very much cut from the same cloth. Yeah. I mean, I, I could tell that like yeah. five minutes into talking to you <laughs> for sure. So, but let's, I want to talk in about a little bit more about developing these products that you've, that you've been able to be a part of with Sitka is because, you know, I, I put out like a little questionnaire this morning and a lot of the questions I got from people on social media that are following me or Fieldcraft one of the things that they ask about is all these systems like and we talked about it pretty heavily a lot of people buy it they spend all the money on the best gear but like you don't even know how to wear it like you don't even know how to wear your underwear you know what i mean it's right. like let's, no, it's let's actually statement. do it you know yeah. and, and it's not to like belittle anyone it's not to like take away from what they do or don't know but like let's actually dive in a little bit and talk about 
these products are designed for a reason, why they're designed, and kind of like your thoughts and, and kind of all that process. Yeah. So stop me because I, I, I don't <laughs> want to go too long on this, but you know, when, when you really, because I've been thinking about this for decades and I've been using things and seeing other people, like I said, for decades and really what I've come down to is it's, it's not as complicated as everyone has made it out to be. And I'll, I'll start by saying that any technical layering system, it's all about managing moisture. And what I mean by that is you're either trying to manage moisture that you generate in the form of sweat. So I want, I want to take that, that sweat and I want my clothing system to move it off my skin and either to the out, outside atmosphere or, or to the next layer. And as soon as my skin is dry, or in the process, let's say I have just a base layer on and it's hot out, the, 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 the very presence or the, the very uh, act of that moisture moving away from my body is pulling heat with it. Mm. All right. So it's about managing moisture from the inside and then it's about managing moisture from the outside. So the sweat's an obvious one. The external forces are snow, rain, falling in a creek, whatever the case may be. So you want a clothing system that is versatile. So you can, you can manipulate it to the environment as it changes. I like to said, you know, the mountain environment's dynamic. You That's never right. know what it's going to be. Right. You, so you want it to be versatile. You don't need it to be complicated. You don't want to have to keep putting a bunch of layers on and taking a bunch of layers off. So you want it to be versatile. Um, and when it does get wet, because that is the reality, right. when you get wet, either from external and internal forces, that it dries quickly. Yes. So it's all about managing moisture. So if that's the case, then the first thing you have to do is not wear any cotton within a technical clothing system to include your underwear. Because mm -hmm. if you do, cotton holds water, it's not gonna dry, it's gonna go against every tenant that we just talked about to right. build a technical clothing system. And then when I, when I thought about this and thought about this and thought about this, and I, I helped fill out the, uh, you know, we called it the protective combat uniform at the time for NSW. I think all of soft eventually at some point, you know, kind of bought in on it. Yeah. Uh, it was an eight layer system. It was, I forget how many pieces it's a 16, 17 pieces. Yeah. But when I was buying it, when I was trying to figure out my systems, when I, cause I, I do document probably overly document, all my trips, you know, at the time, I don't do necessarily do it every time now, but like what I was wearing, et cetera, et cetera. I realized you only need eight pieces. So I call it the eight piece clothing system. Hmm. You need eight pieces of gear, not eight layers. Hmm. You need eight pieces. Within those eight pieces, you have a base layer. Hmm. So that moves the moisture. That right. can be uh, wool or synthetic, right? Shooter's choice. Then I like to see, uh, you know, soft shell pants, some type of, you know, hikey pants, soft shell pant, polyester nylon. It's going to dry quick. It's going to be, you know, move with you. It's going to be uh, stretchy, that kind of thing, right? Then I like to use, I'm a big proponent of, of wind stoppers, so something to block the wind. Um, so, so I was just answering a question today from somebody who said about, you know, asked about a soft shell jacket. You know, a soft shell jacket, in the classic forms kind of falling out of favor anymore, but I like a wind stopper shell. I like a wind shirt. I like something to block the wind because I understand how the body loses heat. Yes. So I know how to counter that. Right. So wind stopper, wind layer, wind shirt, 
Halox convective cooling. So I have that. I can layer it over top of things, under things, super versatile, right? Then I have what I, I like to call an active insulation layer. So what active insulation is, the simplest form of active insulation is, say, a, a piece of fleece, a mid or heavyweight fleece. Everybody, every brand makes one. Yep. They got waffle texture on the inside or whatever. I'm not a big fan of those anymore because they fit too tight. Yep. They bind up. Constrict. They don't give you a lot of versatility. So I like to wear what I call hybrid active insulation. So in the Sika line, it's Kelvin Active Jacket, uh, the Kelvin Active Hoodie. We've got the exact same pieces down in our military line downstairs right now. That piece breathes super well. Uh, I wear it when I'm active, just like the name applies. I'm hiking, it's cold, I need more insulation, I put that on, it's going to breathe. If it gets a little sweaty, it's going to dry super quick. That's kind of a new piece to yeah. a lot of people's clothing system they're not really familiar with. Um, the next one is a static insulation piece. So what everybody calls the puffy jacket, no matter the time of year, I've got a puffy jacket. That puffy jacket can be a super lightweight down puffy jacket. It can be a super, you know, warm, more, you know, insulated piece for winter, but there's a puffy jacket. Then there's rain jacket and top. So I, I like to say rain gear is like car insurance. Nobody wants to pay for it, but when you need it, you're fucking really glad you, you spent, <laughs> yeah. you spent good money for it. Yep. Right. But it lives yep. at the bottom of your pack. Mm -hmm. So that's an eight piece clothing system. That clothing system, you know, I was just on a, a ski tour last week. I think it got down to seven degrees. I wore an eight-piece clothing system. The only thing I did, because it was, a, I brought a really light sleeping bag is I brought puffy pants. But my point is that system with a few minor modifications, like I said, lightweight puffy jacket, heavy puffy jacket. Maybe I have a really lightweight hiking pant or a little heavier weight hiking pant. Other than that, the system's the same. Yeah. Eight pieces works together. And then I take it a step further and say, outside of your mind, that clothing system is my first line of defense from the elements. That is my first piece of survival gear. I can hunker down under a bush, get in a cave, climb under a log, put that shit on. It's going to manage moisture. It's going to keep me warm and dry. Yeah. It's not, I'm not going to be happy about it, but yeah. I'm not going to die. Right. Right. That's a clothing system in a nutshell. It does not have to be any more complicated than that. Yeah, when I whenever we teach shelter or I teach shelter in our survival classes, I actually always start with that by saying, hey, you know, you didn't know in this block of when you thought we were going to come out here and, you know, hang up a tarp or whatever. The first block of this, of your the first line of your shelter is your clothing, you know, because you Absolutely. actually you don't have to have this badass tent system. You might want it. <laughs> it's going to make your experience out here a lot more enjoyable, but you don't need this to survive at night. You need what you have on you and your clothing. So you have to start with your person. And if you're not starting with what's on your person, then you're already screwed up out of the gate. Like yeah. then you're already stepping off the wrong foot. And I, I think that that in and of itself, that understanding of everything that you just explained is one of the most fundamental mistakes that people make when they step out the door to go do anything in the field. Um, from a search and rescue perspective, I would I would probably say from my experience in the with high degree of accuracy that around 90 to 95 percent of the people that I go out and get that we go out and get that my team goes out and get are not 
adequately adequately layered. They're, they've done a lot of things wrong, and and yeah, they don't even understand the the basic principles that you were just explaining. Now, that's not to say that I'm not trying to say that by saying like, oh, everybody's just an idiot because they're they're not dumb. You just don't you just don't know what you don't know. You're just ignorant to a subject until you've done it and have enough experience. But unless learn. somebody talks to to somebody like me or you, Austin, right. who is out there teaching the civilian populace how to use any of this, nope. right? And nothing against marketing, huh? but if you're relying on a brand's marketing to teach you, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Yes. Yep. Right? And, that, and that's, man, it, fi- it really does fire me up. It pisses me off because I feel like companies all over, like all over, every company spends more time trying to market to make it, it marketing it for sales than they do for actually putting the right tool or the right piece of equipment in the end user's hand. It's no longer about giving you what you actually need. It's more about me selling you this thing so then I can upsell you to something else. Right. And it chaps my ass because I'm like, you're actually intentionally setting people up for failure just to make the dollar. And it's like, it, it just bothers me. So, well, in, de- in defense of most of these brands, and I'm not going to say any names because it's not it's not relevant, really, but they don't even know they're doing it. Yeah. They don't even know. I, I buy a lot of competitor gear because I want to look at it and deconstruct it and things. Mm-hmm. And I can tell that they don't know what they're doing by the way they build things, yeah. by the way they, they put different fabrics and insulations yeah. together. They don't understand it, right? So they don't even understand it themselves. Mm-hmm. But... Technical clothing is expensive. Everything's expensive, right? But a technical clothing system, those eight pieces to build it, you know, high level, I'm just going to, I got to pull it out of my head, but let's just say it's 2,500 bucks. Yeah. Okay. So here's the analogy I use. You turn 16 and your dad gives you the keys to the Porsche. Yeah. And he goes, son, you've always wanted to drive it. Here you go. Right. He gets in a passenger seat. You jump in a driver's seat. You grind it. In the third gear, you get the thing going 60 miles an hour, and you think this is the coolest shit ever. Mm-hmm. And you're like, fuck, this is awesome. Yeah. And he says, okay, pull over. Now let me get behind the, the wheel. And your dad gets behind the wheel, and he seamlessly goes through up into sixth gear. Car goes 150 miles an hour, and the kid goes, holy shit, dad. I realize now why you love this car more than mom. And it's worth 150 grand, right? Yeah. Because you understand the full value. Yes. Most people are only grinding their gears in the third and going 60 and not fully understanding the capability of a system they have. Yeah. But here's the problem. Okay, fuck it. That, ha- that For most of the time of their life, that's, that's fine. But when they get in the shit and they can't figure out how to fucking get warm or dry out, guess what? They push the SOS button and you got to go rescue them. Yeah. When in reality, they have everything they need most of the time mm-hmm. to get themselves at least through the night, not die, not go hypothermic, but they don't understand it. Right. So they have to have both. Yes. They, they have to have both. There's a level of balance that I, and, and this is the other piece to that. Let me let me keep going on that, because it's important, I think, for people to understand this that are new new to a to an industry or not an industry but new to a space like like whatever outdoor recreation you like to do whether you're hunting fishing hiking backpacking whatever it is pick your poison that 
I think a lot of folks think, well, oh, you know, John, man, he's got it dialed in. He's got it. You know, he, he knows all this, has all this experience, all this information. You know, Austin, oh, he's been out there. He's done it. He's, he's doing this for search and rescue or whatever it is. People might look at that and say, well, those guys never make mistakes. They, they, they didn't know. They have all the information. They know everything about it. Well, let me, I'll be the first to tell you. I'll be the first to admit. I fuck up all the time when I go all the time. But here's the difference. My experience, my knowledge base, my understanding of these clothing systems allows the margin of my mistake to be significantly smaller. So here, I'll just make up an example. The difference is instead of when I go out, maybe I'm like, I go through, you know, two, three pairs of socks in a day and I'm, I'm out hunting, let's say. You know, I spend six, eight hours on my feet, uh, scouting around, doing whatever I'm doing, feet are sweaty, changing out my socks, trying to stay warm. Well, hunker down for the night, go to go to sleep and I'm like, oh shit, you know, I only had these three pairs of socks. I forgot the other two that I wanted to bring with me, right? Well, because I was, you know, because of my training, because of my experience, well, I was drying out my first two pairs of socks that I changed. Yep. So yep. my first pair of socks is like, maybe it's 10% still wet. And my other pair is 50% still wet. The pair I have on are soaked. And I'm like, I'm going to change out my socks. Well, now instead of me going to bed in the one pair of soaking wet socks that I have, I'm going to bed in a pair of socks that maybe have 10% of moisture. And because I was, you know, my experience and my understanding of the equipment, I'm, I'm only going to go to bed with cold feet. I'm not going to go to bed and wake up uh, hypothermic or with frostbitten toes. I, I'm going to sleep like a baby with my feet, maybe a little chilly. And all it takes is me to put a blanket over my feet or something, right? So my margin of error there is significantly small. And that just comes through understanding the gear. It comes through with a little experience, but when you really actually have that foundational understanding of how to use this equipment, you're closing the margin of error. And I think that that's one of the biggest differences that I've learned just in my own experiences of understanding equipment and the importance. Because if I can just close the gap for myself, I, I'm human just like anyone else. And it, like we're doing this podcast on lav mics right now because I forgot <laughs> the damn cord at my hotel room to do it on the machine. Yeah, I'm just as forgetful and probably more forgetful than most people. But because of my, you know, the experiences and my understanding of equipment, you know, I can like make my mistakes more marginal. And so it's not going to cook me when I'm out there and I'm not just going to pay with my life. I'm just going to pay with maybe my feet in a little chili for a night. Yeah, dude, it, it is such a great point, right? It is such a great. I, I fuck up all the time too. Like I, I'm, I, I forget shit. My, my first, you know, winter trip out this year, I'm like, ah, fuck, you know, I'm like, <laughs> I didn't put it all on camera, but I'm like, ah, fuck, I forgot this. Oh, God damn yeah. it. You know, <laughs> but, but the difference is I can take a minor incident and not become a statistic. Yes. Because I know how to manage it. Mm -hmm. I know I know how to get through it. I, I've been there before. Right. And so that experience part, you know, is, is another thing to factor in. But, you know, that that's the difference between wearing something out there and going out there and training with your gear to learn the capabilities. Yeah. Right. Which that's you guys do mm -hmm. an awesome job with. But but that's what I think. You know, if I'm going to spend $2,500, because we're talking about clothing, if I'm yeah. going to spend that $2,500, and I want to seek out some information so that I, I can flow up into sixth gear yeah. and get to 150 miles an hour. Yeah. And when I do get wet socks, that I know I got the right ones and I know how to dry them out. Yeah. Right? Yeah, man. So, yeah. so I love this, the layering systems, right? So layering, I, I mean, I'm huge into like teaching that concept because, I mean, I even teach in survival, you know, layering your equipment. 
right? Like if I'm, if I'm gonna have something in my pocket. You're talking like first, second, third line. Exactly, yeah. first, second, third line gear, man. It's just, and that's a, a concept we learn in the military, yep. right? And, and, and as far as like keeping myself alive, maybe in, in combat even, but you apply that principle in survival and it's the same concept. I just wanna have, I'm gonna have a lighter in my pocket. I want a lighter in my chest rig. I want a lot, 10 lighters in my backpack, right? I've got it all layered. So it's that concept applies almost universally. So when you look at it from a clothing standpoint, whenever you're breaking this down, I think another thing I'd love to hear your uh, thoughts around it is now mixing and matching this gear, right? Because it's not necessarily always as simple as just um, going A to Z. Sometimes it's like, hey, I can use this in combination with these things and these environments that are tailoring this situation uh, for myself, right? So like, how are some ways that folks can start to, as a, now that they understand the, these layers, how can they start to implement using these and testing them out to kind of find the efficiencies in that gear? Yeah, so one of the ways is because I talk about, you know, these systems should manage moisture, mm -hmm. is you gotta go and test that theory. So a great way to do it, it's something I do with almost every piece of gear, you know, I've developed with Sitka, I learned this from a guy named Mark Twite years ago, who's kind of a mentor of mine, who's a professional alpine climber. Um, I'll go in to the trailhead with a bucket of water and I'll have, you know, my base layers, maybe my soft shell pant, whatever I want to test. And it'll, it'll be in that bucket of water and I'll pull it out and I'll wring it out and I'll put it on and I'll start walking, I'll start hiking. And I will see how long it takes to dry out, how long it takes on a cold day to put cold, wet clothes on, how, how many minutes or hours or whatever, you know, down the trail do I warm up? You can do it in a controlled environment. Right. You're obviously not walking out in the middle of nowhere. Right. But, you know, do my pants dry? Do my pants not dry? Does my base layer, when it's dry, keep me warm, even if the third layer out is still wet? Yeah. That's training with the system. That's understanding if it's actually going to work for you. Mm -hmm. uh, I've done some videos. I, I did a video with the Eastman's years ago that's, yeah. that's on, on their website, I guess. And, you know, I've, I've done a couple of my own, uh, you know, and, and the, the one I did with the Eastman's was this really extreme thing where I jumped in a frozen river. And I don't recommend anybody do that. <laughs> but, you know, you can go to the trailhead on, uh, you know, with your buddy, your training partner on a cold day and, and see if it works. Right. You want to see if, a, you know, hey, I'm going to go on a float trip. I'm thinking about bringing a down jacket. What if that down jacket gets wet? Well, you know what? Get the goddamn down jacket wet. Yep. See if it works. Yep. Go spend a night out. Have some type two fun, right? Yep. Don't, don't have to do it in the middle of nowhere. Don't go kill yourself. Yeah. But you don't know, but you owe it to yourself to understand, yes. does it work, right? <clears throat> if I put a treated down jacket on, and I, I, you know, and it got wet in a flow trip and my pack, you know, will it work? Figure that out for yourself. Then you have that confidence yep. to now go have more fun, not worry about the weather. But man, if stuff goes sideways, mm -hmm. you've been there before mm -hmm. and you're like, listen, it's going to suck, but I know I'm going to survive the night. And in yep. the morning, I know, if, <clears throat> you know, because I don't want to be walking around in the middle of the dark. But if I start hiking a little bit in 15, 20 minutes, I'm going to be warm and this jacket's going to start to dry out. Dude, it's that concept of testing your equipment is critical, in my opinion, and actually understanding. I, you know, I teach a, a similar um, 
similar concept in a survival class where it's like, you know, how well, you know, I'll ask a student, I'll say, who here thinks they have the best back, best backpack? Who's got the best one? What brand do you got? Somebody will raise their hand and say, oh, I think it's me. You know, I think I think this brand right here, brand X is the best. But who's got a different opinion? Somebody say, oh, brand Y, I think. I'm like, okay, cool. Bring them up here. And then I'll I'll pull the pack around and I'll say, all right, turn around away from me. You know? Tell me about that pack. What do you know about your bag? Well, it's got this. Um, well, it's got, you know, it's got this one zipper on it. And then it's like, oh, it's it's got shoulder straps. I'm like, okay, all right. Well, you know, what's it made of? Oh, well, um, how much is it weigh? Uh, well, you know, what's its max, you know, load, right? How much can it, weight can it carry and then still function the way it's supposed to? Well, you know, I, I didn't see it on the tag. I think I threw it away. I'm like, okay, I don't do it to belittle anybody. I do it to say, illustrate the point of like, okay, maybe you don't know your gear as well as you think. And just because you saw the commercial, you read the tag in the store and you bought it and it advertises that it does this thing. Does that mean it does it for you? Because if, if you've never tested it, if you never said, right. hey, you know what? I just bought this new backpack. I spent $200 or four or $500 in this pack. And it says it takes, you know, I can carry a load of, you know, a hundred pounds in here. Okay. Well, I'm not telling you to go ruck with a hundred pounds because it's, you know, <laughs> dangerous, <laughs> but you know, have you ever thrown 60 pounds in that thing of gear and then walked around and just for 10 minutes just to see what it feels like, you know, like, because the first time that you throw on that hunting pack and you're, packing out meat or you got a freaking head on your back and then you step on a stick and, and it rolls and that weight shifts. Yeah. What happens? Does it throw your shoulders around and then you land on your back? Does it rip? Does it tweak your back? What happens when those things are actually being used the way that they say they're supposed to work? Because you don't know just because it's on a tag in a store or in a commercial on a video, you know, once you've tried it and you know, once you've tested it, and like you said, doing those tests in a little controlled environment doesn't take much, man. Like right. go out, take your backpack, throw it in your bathtub, soak the thing, and then go outside and see what it does with gearing. Let it sit, let it dry. What does it do? Does it, because this is the thing is I, I get it. You know, if you just spent a ton of money on a piece of gear, you're like, God, why would I do that? Well, I would rather do it in my bathtub yeah. and in my backyard yeah. and wait till I'm out on a hunt, you know, 10, 12, 20 miles back. And then that gear fail. Yep. And then now I'm up shit creek without a paddle, right? Yep. So don't buy gear unless you're invested in it actually doing all of the things that it's advertised. For. Well, first of all, it's fun, right? Because whatever yeah. your season is, if it's hunting, like hunting season doesn't last all year, but you can definitely train with it. You can train with your partner. You can get in better shape. You can learn your kit. Everybody wants to go train with their weapon system yep. and they should, right? Definitely. Or they'll go, uh, well, fuck, I don't want to go too far. I don't want to say too much, but like, you know, maybe even their stove. Okay. Yeah. Which I, I don't even know if they do that, but they train with some things, but we just said a while ago that we both agree that our clothing systems are our first line of defense. It is a survival tool. Yep. Why would you not go train with your survival tool? Right. I don't want to go down the rabbit hole, but like if you're building the fire and you're only building it in primo conditions with dry wood on a low humidity day, yep. you're fucking setting yourself up for failure. 100%. Right? So have some fun, man. Build yeah. some capacity. Like I say, be a student of the game and learn yeah. this. And you know what? You don't have to learn it all in one year or one season or no. fuck. Honestly, not even one lifetime, right? I've been yeah. doing this a long time. I'm still learning stuff or yeah. relearning stuff or yeah. learning a new way to do things. Yeah. And it's just cool. And I'm like, oh yeah, I like that. Let me go try that. 
You yeah. know, one of my one of my little uh, analogies I give in class is uh, in different classes actually is you know someone will say, "Hey, what is the best X? What's the best pair of pants?" Hey, John, what's the best backpack from Sitka I can use? Right? Yeah, I'm sure you get those questions a lot oh, yeah. too, right? Well, here's what I always say is like, you know, I, I didn't play a lot of video games growing up, <laughs> but I did one year for Christmas get it was like the coolest freaking present to me because I got a PlayStation One. And I got a little 12 inch TV with the VCR that was built into it. Right. And I was like, this is the coolest shit ever. Right. So I got Tony Hawk Pro Skater was the first game I got. And then I got uh, the other one was uh, Tekken. Right. So when I got these games, I was like so stoked. And I started to play these games. I turn on it. You know, I'm not one of those video game articulate people. Right. But I was like, I knew the skateboarders. Like I, I watched skate videos and stuff. I was all into that when I was a kid. And then I was like man, I really want to play with this character. I'd get in Tekken and I'd be like, dang, I really want to play with that character. He's like the most badass guy in the game. But I always got this like shitty character at the beginning and then had to play the whole game and beat all these different levels to get to that guy, right? And then I could unlock him, right? And he just pisses you off. But then the analogy that I give is I say, well, you come to me and you say, hey, what's the best backpack? What gear do I need? Can I just copy and paste what you have? What I've got probably isn't going to work for you. And here's why. That the best backpack for you, the best gear for you, is like that character in the in the video game that you want to play as, but they're grayed out. You can scroll over there and you can look at them, but you can't select them to play with. And you know why? It's because you have to start with the shitty character, play all the levels, gain all the experience, beat the game with that guy before you can unlock the other dude, right? And if even if I could select that guy, and then I played the game, because he's maxed out in everything he can do, what benefit would I be getting? The game wouldn't even be fun anymore. Right. So that best backpack, that best piece of gear is that real grayed out character. You have to go through the game. You got to play the game. You got to suck. You got to lose. You got to do all the things. You got to learn all the moves. And then that gray, that pack unlocks itself for you to be able to use because you're going to hone and refine and find the thing that works for you. And it's all going to be multi-purpose. And it's going to, you're eventually going to say, hey, now I know I don't have to go out with it looked like in a freaking jingle truck in Afghanistan with stuff hanging off my pack and my bag weighs 65 pounds. I can go out with a 20 pound bag, 25 pound bag and be super self-sufficient out of that. Yeah. Right? And so it's it, when I kind of break it down like that, I usually see some ahas from people because they, they realize, oh, OK, so it's not all just a one size fits all solution. It, it, it's not, you know, and I've, I've really tried to. I've really tried to go out of my way to not tell people exactly what I use. Like I'm giving them advice and, and I'm not saying what I say is not what I do, but if I, if I'm out and say, yeah, you know what? You should use a sharp, a tarp shelter to go climb Mount Rainier. I am doing a disservice to those people to say that. Now I'm not saying I wouldn't do that mm -hmm. with, 30 years of experience and a weather forecast and a partner I can rely on and all these things. Right. But so many times we all see somebody, you know, be it, you know, shooting on the range or, you know, whatever it is. And you're like, dude, I've got to have that. Yeah. I got to have that because I'm going to be that good. Mm -hmm. But the, the thing is, it's like, you're not good enough yet. You know, depending on where you are in your development, you might not be good enough yet to take, a TP tarp into the backcountry for a two week elk hunt. Mm -hmm. Like you just might not be there yet. Maybe you need to stick to the two man tent, right? Mm -hmm. 
because unfortunately it's not just the TP tarp. That person has everything in his system dialed. He's got the clothing, he's got the boots, he's got the socks, he's got the stove, he's got the teepee, he's got the sleeping bag. Everything is fucking dialed. Yep. Right? Everything. But you only look at the one thing. And so it kind of paints paints the, the wrong picture. So I like I like to tell people, I, I mean, I, I will tell people, but I want to tell them the why. Yes. I'm using this. This is why I'm using this. Right? And there is no real one size fits all. Uh, we, you know, like in the military, we had standard clothing system I talked about. Yeah. That doesn't mean every dude wore the system the exact same way on the same, you know, yeah. in the same weather conditions. Everybody yeah. could wear it a little different. And in my opinion, none of them were wrong as long as it worked for that person. Right. Yeah. And that's how you figure it out. You figure it out by going out, fucking up a bunch, mm-hmm. having a couple close calls, yep. trying to learn from it and then resetting. You know, and uh, but again, to me, that's like that's part of the the fun, it is, you know, man. because like you said, if you go become that, you know, jump to the video game guy <laughs> yeah. right, that's got all the, the weapons and everything. Mm-hmm. It's like you're almost like you're doing yourself a disservice, like yeah. enjoy the journey to get there. 100%. You know? Yeah, man. I mean, guys show up to the range and they got their Gucci out clock, you know, it's got the comp and all the bells and whistles. And I'm like. You know, dude, you're in a fundamental course, man. You just started. And I'm like, by no means am I a wizard with a pistol, but, you know, you grab a stock Glock and you shoot that for a year or two years. And then then you start finding where some of these other bells and whistles build you efficiency. It's like, oh, well, if I have the comp on my gun, well, it helps me balance out. And, you know, I don't get as much muzzle flip when I shoot. Like, oh, that's sweet. If you buy that right out of the gate, you're not going to ever appreciate what that thing's doing for you anyway. No. And you're not going to know how to use it appropriately. You know, you you and I talked about this yesterday, and it, it's probably worth repeating, but when you become really good at something, so let's say shooting mm-hmm. or going out in the backcountry, whatever it is, and you're like, man, that dude is so high speed. And he might be. Mm-hmm. He probably is. But you know what he's really, really good at? He has mastered the basics. Yep. He has mastered the basics and people are like, fuck, I don't really care how the body loses heat. And I'm like, well, that's a pretty much a fundamental <laughs> thing you need to understand or the rest of this is built on a, on a, on a pile of quicksand. Right. Yep. But it's like, you really understand the basics. And, uh, this guy, Mark, I, I told you about twice. Um, he used to test a lot of gear for a lot of different companies. I won't, I won't mention their names in the outdoor industry, but you know, he told me one day, I was like, Hey man, it must be awesome. You know, that jacket and you know we all use gear as a crutch to a point until the point where you don't need it as a crutch anymore (laughs) but anyways we were talking and i was asking him something about the jacket and he goes dude and he didn't say it arrogantly although it might come off the way i say it arrogantly he didn't mean it that way but he's like i'm so good at what i do and i've been doing it so long so i could fucking go out with a trash bag and make it work yeah. And the reason he can do that is because he had mastered the basics. And he's like, I know how the body loses heat. I know how a, a trash bag doesn't breathe. I know how to counter all these forces and I'll make it work. Mm-hmm. Is it going to be the best? Is he going to be the happiest? Fuck no. But he can make it work because he has mastered the basics. And it's like, doesn't matter what you give him, he'll figure it out. Doesn't matter if you have the high speed race gun or the fucking stock pistol, yeah. you can still be accurate on target, yeah. right? Yeah. That's a guy who's mastered the basics. Mm-hmm. 100%. So, man, that's 
That's such a good concept. So so let's all just try to master the basics. Yeah, that's really what it is, man. You're just going to go out and you need to build reps and practicing efficiencies and finding efficiencies and saying, hey, man, you know, this comment, and I've done this, gosh, I couldn't say how many times. I'm sure you're the same way where it's like, you know, like this experience, I just got back from this hunt. I just got back from this backpacking trip or whatever. And I do this all the time in a search and rescue capacity where I would come back and I'm like, man, my bag just wasn't working. I, there was something in there that just, I didn't like, I didn't like this. And then I'll put it back on. I'll say, what was it? You know, and I'll move and I'm like, oh, that's what it was. It's doing this thing. And then I'll say, oh, it, it felt really top heavy. And I'll go in there. I'll look and I'll say, damn it. I put this, you know, maybe I put this piece of gear in the wrong place, or maybe I should have swapped it out for this piece of gear. And then what happens is you find and build those efficiencies, but it really comes with like, just go out and fuck it up sometimes, man. Like actually just go out and just try different combinations of things and saying that, because those truly are those fundamentals. Those truly are the things that you start to understand of like, okay, I need to layer my clothing. Okay. Now I've got my clothing layered. Let me try some different combinations of those things while I walk. Maybe I need to, you know, take off this jacket and then uh, put on this pair of pants and see how that works for me. And I, I love that. Like get it soaked, go for a walk, see what it does for you. How long does it take to dry out? What does it do if you just let it sit out? You know, there's so many ways of just learning and understanding just basic information yeah. and and, it, and everybody wants to skip over that. Like it's like, they're going to just, you know, pass, go, do not collect $200 kind of thing. Yeah. Man, you know, yeah. it's like, dude, actually the guys that, that I know that I respect the most in these industries that do this shit for real on a regular basis, that's what you are going to catch those guys out doing. You know, like some guys thinking that he's going to catch John out swinging from a rope off a of freaking K2. Right. And it's like, well, actually <laughs> you're probably going to catch John out at the park, <laughs> walking around in a soaking wet jacket. People are like, yep. what's you going will, on, you man? Will, you will do that. Yeah. So I, it's, it's really cool to hear you say well, that. You well, know, you know, we, we've had, we've had the, the, the fortune of from the military being with good units, right? Learning, learning from others, right? Yeah. And having those mentors. But, you know, one of the things that's a very standard practice is debriefs, yeah. lessons learned, right? Passing those on to the next people. Mm-hmm. I personally, okay, I am a little anal retentive. I, I get that, but like I always go out with a wet notes pad and a pencil. Yeah. And I could, I've got boxes of them. I could go back and, you know, pull my notes from a dull sheep hunt in 2010 in the Brooks Range, and I can tell you exactly what my fuel consumption was for that stove in those environmental conditions. Now, I don't need to do that all the time anymore, but that's what I needed to do to learn. And then I wrote down lessons learned before I ever got back to the house and was already tweaking shit or had a plan yeah. of action to modify it for the next go around. Yeah. And that's just in one facet of the whole trip. It's not even talking about the hunt. It's not even talking about the pack out. It's not even talking about the gutting the animal. Right? Yeah. So let's, <laughs> let's talk about that for a minute. Cause you know, we're kind of uh, focused a little more hunting, but yeah. you know, it used to be, and I know people still do, but, but you know, when you and I were kids, like we talked, they, we were out in the woods. We were trying all these things. Like, but what we were doing is we were developing skills, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were fucking it up a lot, but <laughs> and it took a long time. And you know, people used to come into hunting from like a backpacking background and things like this. But now, and I get it, if you're, you know, a, you know, an adult that wants to learn to hunt and you want to get in the mountains, you want to get there quicker. I, I understand that. But, you know, you have to take your time um, 
you know, you have to take your time to get there. Yeah. And so everybody wants to focus on, you know, the shooting. Everybody wants to focus on the trophy quality. Everybody wants to spend, you know, four fucking months over the winter searching an area on Onyx. And they want to do all these things, right? But, but here's what they don't understand. They don't have the skills yet to get to the target area, execute the mission, and fucking get back. Mm -hmm. So I like to, I, I like to call it the care and feeding of the trip, right? Yeah. So if you can't like if you can't get into the mountains, feed yourself, clothe yourself, hydrate, be able to have a basic first aid to care for you or your partner, light your stove, understand symptoms of altitude sick. You're never gonna fucking get the shot at the yeah. elk, and if you do. That's probably going to be wasted meat because you're not going to be able to get out, right? And so we're focusing on the outcome and we're not focusing on, you know, let's call it the commute, right? Commuting in, living there, and commuting out. And that is what you can do in the off season. Yes. You can go in the mountains right now and commute around and live there and figure out how to take care of yourself and, and work with a partner and build that bond. And just take the hunt aspect out of it, yeah. right? Or take the, you know, the, the the ice climb out of it or whatever it is and just work on the living in the backcountry part. And then what I think you're going to find is you're going to have a more enjoyable time. Yeah. You're going to have more success because you're going to spend more time out there. And then when you do get that opportunity to take the shot, you're going to be so much more prepared. Yeah. You're going to be, you know, better fed, better hydrated, yes. able to do it not altitude sick and you're going to be successful, yeah. you know? And, uh, unfortunately, like most of those skills aren't really talked about anymore. You know, people used to go to Knowles courses or learn at Boy Scouts and like, I don't know how much of that happens anymore, but that's just like, I, I realized about a year ago that I was assuming everybody already had that shit. And I'm yeah. like, wait a second. That's the one thing nobody's talking about. Yeah. They are picking, we talked about this yesterday, yeah. they are picking a spot and dropping a pin on Onyx. <laughs> they don't know what the fucking squiggly lines mean or how many miles, Ks or whatever it is to get there, where a water source is, the steepness of the slope. I'm like, wow, man, like it, it all, you know, because you were talking about teaching land now, but it's like, all those things have to come together and all those things can be practiced and trained and you can have a great uh, adventure off season learning all those skills that is going to make that hunt so much more enjoyable and successful. 100% man and that's to me it's like the man it's like there's so many things and I, I can get from someone who's new and I, I think uh, just it my level of experience, which, you know, compared to a lot of folks, even yourself is like minimal. And it's like, even where I am right now, right. In my experience level where I'm like, I've, I'm just now feeling like comfortable where I'm like, I can, I can go do that. Like, I'm good with that. Right. Before I've always felt like, you know, maybe it's that version of myself where I'm like maybe a little self doubt or, you know, am I doing this the right way or whatever it is. But now I'm like getting to a level of confidence where I'm like, okay, cool. I can do this. I'm good with that. But I think that it's important for folks who are new to the, to this recreational thing, whatever it is, but hunting specifically, especially that, you know, 
you got to break it down into like manageable chunks yeah. of learning yeah. for yourself. And that's a, a great example of that. Of like, go out, like <coughs> just learn to be comfortable. Just learn to get out there. Just learn to live out there. Yeah, man. Like, cause yeah. once you're like, oh, I can just adjust my shelter. And then it's like, oh, like I know I need to swap out, you know, these layers or I know I need to dry something out. I know how to cook. I know how to make a fire, <coughs> you know, at that point, then you're just like, you're on autopilot. And it's like, and that was the other analogy we had made to shooting yesterday when we were talking about this is, you know, why do guys at the top echelons of the military or in law enforcement, the guys that do this the best, why do they stand on a flat range and practice alignment? Why do they practice marksmanship? Why do they practice grip? Why do they practice these little individual skills? Well, and that's so they can take those skills and then have that shooting marksmanship piece on autopilot where now, you know, if I'm whoever in whatever environment, I'm not thinking about my grip. I'm not thinking about, okay, well, I got to line my sights up. I got to do this thing. Okay, trigger squeeze. I need to be fit. They're not thinking about any of that shit. They're just being efficient. And now I can actually focus on the fight, right? Because yeah. the fight's yeah. the thing that they're there for. Absolutely. That other stuff has to be on auto, like, you know, automatic to them. Like, and I always say, you know, you guys need to get to a level of, of proficiency with these skills where you're like Michael Jordan scoring 60 points with the flu in the playoffs, right? Yeah. Like you need to wake up and have a level of proficiency that you're like, okay, whatever, cool. Like I can, I can figure this out on the fly. And so, you know, you made a, a really, really good um, analogy to saying, you know, hey, the only way to actually get a thousand jumps is to get a, is to go jump a thousand times. The only way that you're going to get way. there, that's it. You, you know, you can't, talk your way through it. You can't uh, watch YouTube videos and, and nerd out your way through it because that's what I do. I watch a ton of YouTube videos on stuff, but you know what? As many times as I watch a guy on YouTube do whatever it is, I'm never going to get there until I just go do it. Yeah. And so that level of becoming just comfortable with being there, man, you're going to set yourself up for success. You know, platforms like, like you guys have feel craft or what I'm trying to do, the, the great thing about these platforms is, you know, if somebody's standing there going, man, these guys are making it sound too damn difficult. It, it's not. Right. You don't have to start where me or you did, mm -hmm. putting canned ravioli <laughs> in, a, in a backpack and getting lost in the woods and just wander <laughs> until you hit a road or, or found a, a, an adult, right, to get you out. So, yeah, it takes a thousand jumps, but I can, you know, Platforms like ours can start you higher up on, on the ladder. Definitely. So you can you can go out there and be competent. You can go out there and be safe. Yeah. You can go out there and have a hell of a good time, and you can have success, however you define that, yep. real early on. It takes a long time to master it, but it's in, you know it's fun, it's yeah. adventurous to get there. Totally. I think that's what platforms like we have are trying to do. But people want to go right to the pinnacle, right? They want to select that <laughs> yeah. that that, that uh, video game guy, right? Yeah. And it's like, man, you'll get there. Yeah. But in the meantime, you're still going to have fun. You're still going to have yeah. success. You're, but you know, learn. I'm still learning. I, I, I hope I never get to the point where I don't think that I can learn something from anybody. I, I could learn something from somebody day one because. Yeah. That person may have a perspective that I either didn't have or have lost or never thought of and ask a question that sparks something in my mind and go, holy shit, why didn't I ever think of that? And that's what the teaching did for me with students yes. is because it, it got me thinking and it saw me doing those things. And I'm like, whoa. So I, you know, we, we said 
you never want to be that guy. Right. Yeah. So it's like yeah. <laughs> always be open to learn new things. But, uh, um, but yeah, you, you, you know, you don't need a decade of experience to go out there and be safe yeah. and have a ton of fun. Like but, you said. But, but you should put some effort in before you yeah. get too far off the road. Yeah. And that that kind of pushes to another topic I wanted to talk about, which is <clears throat> mitigating risk. Yeah. Because, <clears throat> you know, we talked about this and where a lot of people see, you know, somebody who's out doing whatever it is. They're out doing this alpine thing or they're out hunting this big game, backcountry hunt. And it's like and it's a glorified thing. Right. Like People glorify that as like it's this huge like, oh, my God. And it's like, no, I get it. I do. And, and that's the ultimate maybe for in that industry, the thing. Right. But what what people don't do is they say, oh, man, you know, John's out doing this thing or Austin's out doing this thing. And holy shit, like that's crazy. But, you know, you guys, you, you must have to be at your level to get there. Well, but what people don't see is that, oh, man, this thing is so high speed. It's so dangerous. It's, gosh, I can't even imagine. It's like, well, what you don't see is all the hours, all the days spent planning and rehearsing and training to actually go do that one thing. And what we're doing in training, rehearsing and planning and doing all these things is we're mitigating that risk. So something that is a high risk activity, like being miles and miles and miles away from help in the backcountry in unfavorable conditions, carrying a lot of weight, high risk is now that risk has been significantly reduced because of all the hours and days of planning, rehearsing and training that we've done. And that goes into a trip like that, even in search and rescue application, you know, everyone says, oh, that's so dangerous. And all that. I said, well, really, it's yeah, it's dangerous. It's always dangerous. But I've, we have mitigated so much risk before we ever set foot out there yeah. that at this point, the risk is significantly is, is low enough that that's why we're even going. You know, uh, and you were telling a story about Alaska earlier today. I don't know if you, you're cool telling that story again, but it was interesting about your buddy with search and rescue. And I mean, that's, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, rem remind me cause I'll forget, but, uh, but the, the, the risk mitigation part is interesting because it's not something that's really overt, mm -hmm. you, you know, you, you may be somewhat aware of it, but you're, but, but you're not, you know, people don't understand, like, again, a military operation, right. Either real world training, whatever it is, uh, a climber going out what, what what you don't see and what people don't often talk about is that mitigation of risk right and it can be it can be everything from uh, your mindset and your training and your partner and your experience to you know the equipment to uh, you know having a, you know an inreach on you or waiting for the right weather window or you know all these different things that you're like, very high levels, we'll call it red, right? It's yeah. red light terrain. Yep. We're going to start layering in uh, factors that mitigate those risks and start to get it to an acceptable level. And the acceptable level, obviously, is, you know, that that's what fluctuates. So when you're when you're starting out, you should be kind of working in the green. At some point, you can work your way up in the yellow and then, you know, I, I know I haven't talked to you extensively, but, you know, I know you and I have both either in our personal lives or our professional lives. We've definitely operated in the red. Right. Yeah. But you but we went in eyes wide open, understanding 
that the risks were high, the reward was whatever that was, was great or worth the risk. Yep. And that we had done, you know, whatever we could to mitigate it. But the reality was it's still going to be, yeah. it's still going to be dangerous. Yep. Right. Yep. And I think when you start going in the back country, you need to start figuring that out. So it does no good to carry a med kit with sutures and uh, tourniquets and trach tubes and all this stuff. If you have no idea how to use it, mm-hmm. just fucking leave it behind and don't kid yourself that you have that capability, yep. right? If you're going into bear country, like where I live, a lot mm-hmm. of grizzly bears, oh, yeah. like you have to factor that in to your, your profile, right? So what am I going to do to mitigate the risk? Am I going to carry a pistol? Am I going to carry bear spray? In Alaska, we would carry a small bear fence. Um, you know, am I going to have a dog with me or... You know, what is it that we're going to do to help mitigate that risk? Uh, we're not going to, you know, walk around with elk blood all over us yeah. and, and leave, you know, meat in the tent. You know, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you're trying to manage that risk and everybody's going to have their own ideas. So the the Alaska story was, uh, you know, I had, I had worked with the search and rescue unit up there and, and they knew they could call us. And if they really needed some guys, like we'd roll out and help them because right. we were out there all the time. Yeah. And we operated at a pretty high level and, and depending on, you know, who the person was in, the, in that particular group, not everybody was operating at a very high level. Right. Mm-hmm. So this, my buddy called me and he says, Hey, um, we have a group of people, blah, blah, blah. They're, they're lost at the top of such mountain. Um, they, they don't know, you know, if they're going to, you know, they're, they're in, they're in some type of, you know, uh, uh, not structure, but shelter, you know, yeah. but it's getting torn apart and this and that. And we need to go up there. And I said, no. Yeah. He goes, what? He goes, what do you mean? No. He's like, you know, you guys are the, some of the most capable. We need your help. And I said, respectfully, nobody should go up there right now because to go up there puts us at the same risk that they are now in. And all we do is potentially compound the problem. We, we have to wait for more favorable conditions and bring that risk down to an acceptable level to go and try and affect a rescue. Yeah. And it's humbling when that's the answer. Yeah. But sometimes that is what it is, right? I didn't, I didn't choose to go up there like they did ill-prepared, and now they're in a pickle, mm-hmm. but I can't compound the problem because I have to put myself in the same environment. And yeah, I'm more experienced and yeah, I have better gear, but it's too high risk right now for everyone to go up there. And, and, and that's a tough thing. Right. And I don't know if, uh, you know, I don't know at the time if, if anybody would ever, if he thought that or anybody ever said, it, it's like, oh, we're search and rescue. Of course, we're going to go no matter what. Somebody punches the button, we put on our red capes and fly up there. It's like, no, it's a little bit more nuanced than that. And, you know, because of that, when you think you're, you know, your own, you know, your own trips, it's like, so I'll give you, I'll give you another. Yeah. This is a great one. So me and a buddy years ago, we were training. I wasn't living in Alaska. I was living in Coronado, but we're like, we're, we wanted to train up to go do some alpine climbs in the bigger ranges in Alaska. Mm. 
So what are we doing? We're climbing lesser peaks, lesser peaks, and we're trying to push. We're trying to push ourselves. We're training. We're trying to push our style. Trying to do things faster because if if we can't do it, if we can't do it really, really fast and competent down here. Yeah. There's no way we're going to be doing it, be able to do it up there, right? So and we speed had this, is absolutely like a piece is, on mountains is, like speed that. Speed is another one of those factors that mitigates risk, yep. right? So, anyways, we go up there, we drive up there, we're going to do this route. We go in, we get halfway. Big lenticular comes over the mountain. We know we shouldn't be up there because once we're on the ridge, like. We can't, there's really no shelter. Mm. And so we're like, uh, um, and we hadn't been there before, right? We hadn't climbed it yet. So it's like, we shouldn't do it. So we backed out mm. and then waited for a weather window. So the weather came in, dude, it was shit. Like they were trying mm. to rescue people on the mountain. They oh couldn't get up. The, helos couldn't fly. Rescues couldn't get up the mountain. It lasted for three, four days. I don't remember. But right. so anyways, and then we're like, okay, we still want to do this thing. What did that weather do to the mountain? Where yeah. are the avenue conditions now? Did it make it better or worse, et cetera, et cetera. So we packed and we're like, okay, here's what we're going to do now. We were going to spend, I think, don't quote me, like say two, two and a half days on the mountain to do yeah. this one thing. Now we're going to go do this other thing and we're going to do it in 24 hours nonstop. Mm. Okay. And the more this storm lasted, we're living in my van, the more this storm lasted, the bolder we got, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, our courage grew. Yeah, the good idea fear kept oh, showing up. Oh, fuck, man. Yeah. It just kept growing. <laughs> and, uh, but we weren't completely, we weren't complete idiots. So we said, listen, here's the plan. We're going to go up. We're going to go up in mid-mountain. We're going to set up a tent. We're going to get in the tent. We're going to brew up, you know, melt snow, brew up, hydrate, eat, hit the summit, and go all the way back to the truck. But if we need to we can stop halfway again, right? But we're not gonna carry like a shit ton of extra food or anything. And we brought this super lightweight, kind of experimental tent. And mm. it was like not real big and like, <laughs> but it was like just enough we thought we yeah. could fucking get away with it. Yeah. Fucking get halfway up, everything's going great. Get in the tent, brew up, fucking giant storm rolls in. We're mm. trapped in this shitty nylon coffin <laughs> for three days. I, I, oh the way I remember God. it, three days. It's so fucking porous. The, the the material is so porous that it's blowing snow in the tent, and it's so windy. I should say breezy inside the tent. It's blowing out our MSR XGK stove. So now can't fucking melt snow into water, which means I can't hydrate, which means we can't eat because everything's dehydrated. I'm like, fuck. And you don't know how long the storm's gonna last. This was prior to. I mean, we might have had a sat. We didn't have a satellite phone, but it was prior to like in reaches and stuff. Yeah, we're like Oof. fuck. Snow's blowing up inside the tent. We're shoveling, getting out, shoveling because the tent's going to collapse. Yeah. And then, luckily, luckily, uh, my buddy gets out. He's shoveling the tent, and he's like, "Dude, he's like, you're never going to believe it, but some other another party of climbers came up, and they're I can see their tent, and it was a." like a North Face V25, okay, you know, yeah. like a three or four man, like dome yep. tent. And uh, he says, I'm going to go over there and ask him if we can like sit in their vestibule and run our stove. And thank goodness they said yes. <laughs> and so we went over there and we sat in the vestibule, you know, they were in the tent, but we were super happy and it oh, was yeah. not windy in there. Yeah. It's a good tent. 
we were able to melt snow, which meant we could hydrate and eat. Did that for, you know, on and off for the next couple of days. Didn't have a lot of food because didn't plan on being up there for three days. Soon as the weather started to break, ran up, tagged a summit all the way back to the truck. And we're like, fuck, man. Like, we literally got away with something. Like, we got away with something. If that storm would have lasted seven days, if that V25 and that other group wouldn't have been there, like, because it was so bad, you couldn't. You couldn't go downhill in a glacier in a whiteout. Yeah. Like you were just yeah. fucked, you yeah. know? And so that's when I realized it's like, man, you got to be smart. When you start cutting the margin of, of safety, um, I like to tell people. So in the military, you go in on an op, you ain't coming out till they fucking tell you to. Mm-hmm. But you going on a backcountry hunt, you going on a climb, you can pick the weather, you can choose to leave. I like to say I want to leave on my terms, not Mother Nature's, but like yeah. you can choose to make those decisions. Mm-hmm. But you got to be smart enough to know when to make yeah. them, right? And you have to plan that little bit of contingency in there. Yeah. And it's, you know, guys are like, oh, dude, I'm going fucking super light and this and that and cutting my toothbrush. And I'm like, cool. But you have to understand when you start cutting the margin of safety down thinner and thinner and thinner, you also have to be willing to punch out and yeah, pull the yep. plug on the trip because not everything is not everything is stacking up yeah, it's not in favorable. your favor, right? And, uh, you know, like alpine climbs when i was doing that it's like i i failed a lot most of the time but you failed because things just weren't stacking up in your favor so you had to back out yeah you didn't want to siege the mountain you're like oh not gonna work gotta get out go in not gonna go okay now we finally did it let's go do it yeah right or sometimes you're like fuck we tried so many times now we're exhausted and the weather's good and we can't go right yeah but again that just comes with yeah i think that's that piece uh, wisdom, right? Wisdom mm. is like kind of, uh, it's kind of what like you said ju- was great. Yeah. judgment and experience, right? Co- kind of coming together. Yeah, kind of yeah. coming together and that it equals wisdom. So it's like where, where you can have a guy that's young uh, that has a ton of wisdom because he got a ton of experience or you can have a guy that's whoever, you know, he doesn't have to be the guy that's like the all-knowing oracle on this subject. But when you have a guy that makes wise decisions, it's because he's got good judgment He's got the experience to back it up. Yeah. Well, some of my best stories and the ones I like to tell when I'm drinking bourbon with buddies, they're all failures. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're, all, they're, all, they're all stories when the trip goes south and yeah. things suck, right? That's it. And you're man. like, fuck, man. Yeah. I was testing this uh, this like tent baby tarp <laughs> combo thing, you know? And uh, whatever. So I, I'm like, oh, fuck. It's going to be a shitty Three shitty three days, fucking yeah. rain and snow and this and that. Yeah. Ah, it'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Pitch that thing, get in it. I'm not in it 15 minutes. I'm like, fuck me, this seems late. Yeah. And it was just a miserable oh. suck fest, you know? <laughs> I'm like, but I learned. You learned. But yeah. I learned. Yeah. Let's so I'm like, oh, up. next time I get an experimental tent, guess what I'm doing? I'm setting it up and I'm fucking hitting it with a hose, yep. seeing if that thing leaks and yep. seam sealing the, the seam. You know, yeah. it's like, damn it. Yeah. You should know better. <laughs> Dude, that happened a couple of times. But, uh, uh, but yeah. I mean, there, and there is so much like you're thinking about, but it's like, Dude, it's, it's always back to those fundamentals, man, you know? And yeah. But, so I was wet. And on that trip, I was yeah. wet. I wasn't miserable, but I was wet. Like, I wasn't right. happy about it, but right. guess what? I had the right, I had everything I needed to dry out, yes. stay warm, stave off hypothermia, all those yeah. things. I was like, I didn't need to punch out. Right. It was just going to suck right. for a little while. And that's while. where that, you because of experience, because you're understanding, because of wisdom, you've now actually been able to 
marginalize that risk to yourself where the mistake that you made was, well, I didn't set this thing up, hit it with a hose, see if it leaked. So now it's leaking on me. But because you've, that was your mistake, it wasn't catastrophic. You know, yeah. you've made the right decisions enough times and the wrong ones enough times to be able to land in a spot where the mistakes that you make are like, eh, okay, it just sucks. It's not, I'm not dead. It just, yeah, it, it's not life threatening. It's just, yeah. it's just not enjoyable. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah. and you know, and something else we were talking about that's, I think that's important for people to understand is that, you know, and we use search and rescue as, as a perspective again for it is, you know, when someone's out there and they, and they're, they're calling, hitting that SOS beacon or they're calling 911 or whatever it is, you know, they're out there in a, and to them, maybe the worst day of their life, some horrible condition, even as the guys going out to get those people or training the guys to go out and get those people. Once, you, once you're out there, you're exposed to the same elements that they're exposed to. You're doing the same thing likely that they're doing and you're putting up with the same risks that they are. But now I also am doing it in conjunction with other people. And now not only do I have to do it for myself, I got to do it for this victim too. Yeah. And what a lot of people don't understand is that even from a rescue perspective, even as a search and rescue tech, you can have all the years of experience. When you go out there, you're about three or four steps above being a victim yourself because you are exposed to all that same stuff. The only difference that I have that sets me apart from becoming a victim myself is that wisdom piece of I have experience. I have the proper equipment. I know how to use that equipment. I have a different mindset. And now I know how to compile all that together, wrangle it together to come out and do the damn thing and get back with my ass intact. And that's really it. Like you're not, you're not always, it's not this glory bound job of like going out where I ride out on this silver pony and you know, everybody's <laughs> like, Oh wow. And people are standing there clapping. You know, I ride out in a, in a SAR call and it sucks. It's not fun. It's right. not like always awesome when it's out there. And it's, and listen, I didn't, I grew up in North Carolina. I didn't grow up in the mountains of Utah. I'm not a, a snow machine guy. Like I'm just not. And now here I am out here doing this damn thing. It sucks, man, when you're riding 30 miles an hour on a snow machine and it's so snowy out that I can barely see the red dot of the taillight in front of me and I'm cold. I mean, you can literally get, I mean, there's been guys that come back and they get frostbite on parts of their body that are exposed on the snow machine because the wind blew it away or right. whatever. And right. it's like, dude, it sucks. It's not always fun. Now, listen, I, I, I think guys like you and I just enjoy probably pushing it, things to the limit a little bit, right? But you know, it sucks, man. And it's like, you get, I think guys and gals and folks in general just glorify that where it's like, it's this awesome, crazy experience. It's not always like that, man. Sometimes it just sucks. Sometimes yeah. it's just uncomfortable, but there's a level of risk mitigation that's happened to where I can go out and do that pretty comfortably and say, okay, well, I've, I've done all these other things to lower that. Time. So, and the other piece is I know my body well enough to know where I need to adapt and change on the fly, right? Like I know how far I can push myself because I've pushed myself in these, you know, yellow and red environments enough times that like, eh, I'm good here. You know, yeah. I, I can manage this. Like, okay, if we're going to push to that, we know we're all going to be in this red zone and we know we can only do that for so long. And it's only contingent, like you were saying on these few things. So if we're going to do it, let's do it. But it's got to be with as many uh, favorable conditions or favorable equipment or favorable, whatever, stacking that deck in our favor. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, training guys, especially in the winter environment, they're, you know, it, it's a very uncontrollable environment. You really mm-hmm. don't control the environment. You, really, you control you control the things you can control, right? Which is right. your attitude, your mindset, your training, your your equipment, your clothing, et cetera. Right. But yeah, I'm still out there in the same avalanche train. I'm yep. still out there in, in the in the shit rain. Mm-hmm. Most of the time I have the same gear, close to the same gear. But that experience, and I was talking to somebody about this the other day, because um, his his now wife, you know, has, has kind of come along with him on the last decade of hunts and, and gained experience. And she was very fearful of, you know, getting wet or getting cold. And so when I'm out there and I'm in the same environment and I've got the same stuff on and I'm wet as, as, as they are and I'm shivering my stuff dry, the one thing I've got is the experience to know I don't have to panic. Yeah. That I don't have to worry about warming up. That I that I've you know I've been there enough that I know that. So and you know and as an instructor, you're there assure you know assuring the other folks. You're like, listen, you know you're gonna be all right. Right. This is what you want to do. This is how you want to do it. I you know I know it maybe doesn't make sense at the moment or mm-hmm. it's gonna suck for a little while, but like yeah. this is how you do it. But you're you're out there in the same yeah environment, living through the same things. Right. And it's and it's as uncomfortable for you as everyone else, but but you you understand that you can get through it, that you can mitigate, you know, all, all those all those factors, and um, you know that that's kind of one of the things I liked about teaching is, um, like I said, that that kind of loop, that feedback loop of, of you know, seeing it in their eyes, and yeah. you're like, oh fuck, man, like we're good, but they didn't know that, right? And then right. walking them through that and like. By the end of a you know a five day trip, or a thirty you know or a thirty day course you know that that they went from this is what this is the point I wanted to get to that they went from not knowing how to take care of themselves to not only knowing how to take care of themselves but having just enough awareness now that they could take care of their buddy right yeah. so when you start working as you know, I, I don't know what you guys called it, but like swim pairs or whatever, where yeah. you started working together mm-hmm. and you're like, fuck, man, all I can do is keep myself warm, dry and fed and hydrated to go. And I can do all those things. Yeah. I can make sure my buddy is doing them. He's going to make sure I'm doing them. And then what's the next level? Now you start applying tactics. Yeah. Right? Then you start applying mm-hmm. an enemy force. Like, but it takes all those things to get there. And so maybe that's a better way of me saying earlier, it's like, we want to go on the elk hunt, but there's all these things that lead up to getting to the X, right? And, uh, but yeah, you're, you're out there. I mean, dude, I've been, I've been caught in an avalanche, a a small slide Mm -hmm. with, with students. Like they didn't get caught. I got caught. I almost skied off a fucking cliff and whiteout. I almost lost a student drowning in a river. Like I'm with them. I'm like, damn, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, Shit is you, real. You, you, you tried to mitigate all the risks, but you don't you don't mitigate them all. You can't. And, and yeah. you're out there with them, you know, living through that or, you know, you're out there trying to work through getting that person who punched SOS to get them out yeah. of the field. Right. Or at least stabilize them if they're yeah. injured or whatever yeah. the case may be. Well, and, and that's the thing, man, is it's just like in the military, they say, well, hey, um, in a planning process, well, the enemy gets a vote. Right. Because it's like, well, it's just like that for us, man. The environment gets a vote. Yeah. Rather we want them to, whether we want it or not, the yep. environment's going to take a vote and the environment's going to take its toll and it's going to, and it will, Murphy will show up at some point 
And Murphy's Law will will remind you quickly that, hey, you're not really in, in as much control as you think you are. And, uh, you know, I, I talk about this a lot, too, where the environment, the conditions, like everything, as soon as you step out of your truck or step onto the trail, if you don't go out there with some humility, it'll teach you. Now, yeah. it's up to you how bad that lesson is, but you're going to get humble. You will. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And it's up to you how bad that lesson is, you know? And, and I think that that takes it into like a, another thing I'd love for people to take away from this is to understand that there is a difference between an outdoor preparedness lifestyle and survival, right? Survival is what oddly, I mean, our company is called Fuelcraft Survival, right? Yeah. I think people glorify this thing of survival, right? Like, oh, I can start a fire with a ferrule rod or I can, you know, uh, set up this trap and, and snare a rabbit or whatever. And they glorify this thing. Now, it's cool. Yeah, it's fucking cool. I love it, right? That's why I do it. Um, I think those skills are awesome. However, an outdoor preparedness lifestyle that of whatever it is that you do recreationally, and pushing things to a to a limit of whatever that limit is for you is totally different than survival. Survival is like, like, let's say that I'm planning from, you know, here to here. And then my risk is going to be somewhere within that of saying, OK, like it's it's a smaller margin. But the survival and I say air quotes and yeah. survival is somewhere over here in left field outside all that where it's a separate skill set. It's a separate thing. And yeah, a lot of those skills do apply in both ways, but survival is like survival. All survival situations start as some kind of an emergency, right? It just starts where, oh shit, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I, maybe the environment took a, had a vote and now here I am on the back end of a bad storm or caught in a little bit of a slide or the ice broke through on the river. Whatever that is, the enemy or the, the environment took the vote and now you are in this situation. Survival is somewhere over here. Well, now maybe you get thrust over there because outside of your lines of mitigating risk and what you plan for, it sweeps you over here. But that's a separate skill set. And it's not a skill set that I particularly want to glorify, but it is a skill set that I want to have and should have. So what are your thoughts around the differences in that? So having those skills helps mitigate the risk right so mm -hmm. you're like if shit just totally goes sideways i have this skill and i have these tools i can use but you know people they'll ask me sometimes they're like dude what's your you know what's your best or worst you know survival situation i'm like never been in one. And they're like what and i'm like i've never been truly in one and listen i could fall down and break my leg of course right mm -hmm. But the reason, but then I go on to say, but the reason is because I don't let it get to that point. Of course, the rock can roll down and pin your arm and you got to cut your arm off with a, <laughs> yeah. you know, with, with a Dull Swiss knife. Army yeah. knife, right? I get that. Yeah. But most of the situations, people made a mistake and they made another and it started to compound or they were dehydrated. So that was the mistake which led to poor decision-making, which led to getting lost with, you know, right. Right. So it's like, I, I don't get there. And so there is a difference that also between a survival and a primitive living skill. Yeah. So 
listen, if I'm out there and I got to fucking trap a rabbit with a snare, I have severely, severely <laughs> fucked up or it's a zombie apocalypse and I'm the last dude left alive. Yeah. Right. I can go out there and do that and have fun and enjoy that. But that is not the skill that you really need. Right. So I think fire making is one. Well, let me take a step back. I think if you have a clothing system, you have to understand that's your first. So it's like, I know yeah. how my body loses heat. Yeah. I know how to counter those forces. So I know if I just seek a shelter, put all my stuff on, lock the wind, insulate myself, get myself off the ground, I'm going to be okay. If my immediate response is, so like in those some of those uh, videos I've done with the Eastmans, if my immediate response is, fuck, I got to get out and build a fire, you're already fucked. You're already fucked. And you talked about it, but you're like, have you ever stuck your hands in a bucket of cold water for five minutes and then timed yourself and saw how quickly it took to build a fire? Because you only have a small amount of time before you lose all dexterity. You can't use the Bic lighter or whatever fuck you thing you brought. Right. And you're fucked. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I like to say a fire is a luxury in the backcountry. And most of the time, and I, we, you know, we, we haven't talked about this, but most of the time, uh, the fire is more psychological warmth than actual physical warmth. Yeah, it's, right? a, it's a nicety, not a necessity. It's a nicety. It is not a necessity. And there are several things you need to do through your survival priorities well before a fire. And, and again, most of the time, if it's really bad weather-wise, you might not even be able to build a fire. Yeah. And going out and being humble to the point where you realize in a, in a, in a training environment, that either I can't build a fire or the fire took three fucking hours to build or after three hours, it does nothing but spit more smoke than flame and gives me no fucking heat. And it's like the size of a dinner plate, which is fucking <laughs> worthless. I can't even melt snow on it or, yeah. or, you know, cook anything. It's a humbling experience, but but it lets you know where your capabilities are. Right. I've been trying to think through this thing. I'm not, I'm not there yet, but like. Understanding your capabilities and limitations is really important. I have them, yep. right? I have them. Mine might be different than yours, but I still have them. And understanding that and playing within my boundaries is, is good. Now, do I go and push my boundaries? Like, I probably shouldn't say this, but like, sometimes I go out and I'm like, I want to have a shitty day and kick my own ass. And I am purposely not bringing any fucking food or water. And I'm going to fucking wreck myself. And then I'm going to see how long it takes when I get home. How many days it takes to fucking recover from this? Did it take me three days? Okay. I know that about myself now. Yeah. Oh, that's not good. But I know that because I did it on purpose, right? Yeah. Which sounds stupid. I get that. No, but, I, I, but, but, but I did that, right? It's like, go out just for a day, go out on a, on a, on a, you know, a wet, soggy, snowy day, bring a dehydrated meal, bring a, a, a small cook pot and your survival kit and go build a fire. And the only way you're eating or hydrating is fucking with that fire. Yep. That's a good way. Yep. Right. There's motivation, but you may be humbled to know you fucking can't do it all the yep. time. So I would rather not get to that point. Yes. I would, I would like to have those skills and know I can execute them, but I would rather not get to that point through good decision-making. Yeah. Right. hundred percent, man. If you're not, if you're not willing to like, you can't sit back and say, well, you know, I know I would survive this or I would, I would get through that because yeah. of this. Like, you can't say that, man. Until you've done it, until you've experienced a little bit of that, you don't get to say that. 
Right. And, and I can tell you, just like you from experience, I can tell you what my body does after I haven't eaten for a couple of days or where I've eaten bare minimal calories. And then now I'm out putting out at 70, 80, 90%. I know what my body does. I know what my brain does. And one of the things I try to, or I'd love for people to, to remember, keep in mind all the time is that one of the things that you're constantly fighting when you're in the field, whether you're recreating or you're truly in a survival situation or whatever it is, one of the things that you're constantly combating is your cognition. You are constantly fighting to retain cognition. And you are always, from the moment that you step out of your truck or onto that trailhead, you are already in a decline of your cognition. And there's a few things you can do to combat that. There's a few things you can do to slow that, uh, you know, graph, so to right, say, of like right. of, of that trickle down. But you will always be in some kind of a downward slope that direction because, well, I'm in the field. All right. Well, now I have to combat with the environment. I have to combat with all these other things where I'm not sleeping as well as I normally would. I'm not eating as much as I normally would or different kinds of food. I'm exerting myself more. I'm not drinking as much water. I'm doing all these things that affect my cognition. And at the end of the day, and what ends up getting most people is once that cognition hits a certain level, especially in a true survival situation, there's no coming back. It's irreversible. You're the turd at the bottom of the bowl yeah. right before it gets sucked down the drain. And yeah. there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. So if you're not constantly thinking about your cognition levels and not, and you're not in the times that you're not actually out there putting out, evaluating yourself and trying to say, Ooh, I need to know what my body does on this amount of water or on this amount of food or with this amount of sleep. Now, listen, I'm not telling you to starve yourself. I'm not telling you to dehydrate yourself, but I, but you know, when you drank soda for three days in a row and you had like one water where you're sitting kind of at, at your hydration level, maybe that's a great day to go for a hike and say, eh, let me put some water in my pack. Yep. Let me go out and start to see what my body's starting to do, how I'm starting to feel. Because if you don't know, and then you're going to go out and actually put yourself in an environment in this situation where potentially that's the outcome. You better know what your body and what yourself is capable of, because if you don't, you're setting yourself up for failure. Yeah. And, and I'll say that one of the most one of the things that gives me the most confidence in the field, in the backcountry, is that I know that about myself. Like I know, oh, I can do this. I know my true capabilities or at least the max that I've pushed myself. I've never had to push myself to where it's like literally life or death. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and to your point, no, I've never been in a true survival air quote situation because what would have maybe been survival situation for someone Correct. was an unexpected, unexpected camping trip for me. Right. And, right. and, and, and or just and, an uncomfortable evening. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, Oh cool. I get to camp tonight. Oh cool. I get to do this outside of a training scenario where right. specifically they're taking away yeah. gear and yeah. putting you, thrusting you into that. But in reality, it's like, I don't let it get there, you know, like you said, man. So knowing that about myself, because I've tested and I've been there and I, I know that not, and it, but it's, it is a constant reevaluation also, but that gives me so much confidence, man. Like I, like I don't have to worry about it because I'm like, even if whatever mistake I could make outside of something catastrophic, there's nothing I could do to myself where I'm like, I, I can bounce back from this. I can, I can find a way to navigate myself into this situation or out of this situation because I have the confidence of knowing like what my body does, how it works, how it operates, what my physical capabilities are. Now, like you said, there's obviously limitations. We all have them. Yeah. But I've, I've found those areas for myself and knowing that is just like powerful. 
it's a powerful piece. Yeah, the cognitive function thing is is really interesting because, you know, when I talk about the care and feeding, you know, of getting yourself in and out of the environment to do whatever you're going to do, if you're not hydrating, if you're not eating, if you don't understand that, you know, go out for a day, hike around with very little food or water, right? Start to start to cook yourself a little bit, fucking come down to the range and shoot, you know, yeah. shoot, shoot from the prone and see how effective you are compared to a, a day where you're rested, right? That that's a decline in cognitive function. Definitely. If you can't do that, that's where you start making those poor decisions. That starts to lead to more poor decisions, right? So it all goes back to that. So for me personally, I I, I call myself a food camel, right? So it's, mm-hmm. I'm a pretty big guy, but I don't need to eat a lot on a regular basis. And quite frankly, because of that, and I'm fucking lazy when I I, <laughs> I cook every night when I'm at home. I'm fucking lazy out in the, out in the back country. I don't need to eat a lot, but I know what I can get away with. Yeah. with what I do bring. And I, and I basically, I bring the same fucking thing every time because I know it works for me. Yeah. But the one thing I do need is I need to hydrate out there. Yeah. But you know what? I'm really shitty at it. And over the last two seasons, I've really concentrated and worked supplements and different, you know, bags and bladders and to get better at it, you know? Yeah. And I, I kind of cooked myself again uh, it had been last April down in Texas on this mm. Audad sheep hunt. Mm. And I'm like, fuck, man. Like, I knew it was coming on. And I'm like, God damn it. I fucking did it again to myself. Right. And so that's when I was like, I even wrote about this. And I'm like, I, 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 I know I, I have to keep make, stop making this mistake. I can go 24 hours, 48 hours without food. Yeah. I cannot do that without water, you know, in the no. standard survival yeah. rules of threes, three days. But, yeah. But, uh, but for me, like I probably have to hydrate more than most mm-hmm. and more than even I do at home. But I know that about myself. So I want to know where my boundaries are. So I would I don't do it anymore. But I'd be like, I'm going to go out today for 12 hours. I'm not going to bring you fucking water. Yep. I'm going to bring an algene. Yep. You know, I'm not going to be a total savage, but I'm going to bring <laughs> an algene. That's all I got. And I'm going to see how I can how I can manage this and how yeah. I feel. And then if I wreck myself, how long does it take me to recover? Because yeah. if you go wreck yourself out there and, you know, getting seven miles in and you're fucked the next day and you know that it takes three days to recover. Yeah. What the fuck are you going to do? Yeah. You ain't coming seven miles back out. There. No, especially whenever the environment takes that vote. Right. Man. So I know mm. that about myself. And then when I go to altitude, it's even more pronounced, right? Oh, so yeah. I know that I plan in advance. I've got it all figured out. It goes into my fuel consumption. You know, if that's what I need. Um, but yeah. And, and then you're like, I don't ever have to get to the point of being in a survival situation. I'm just in an uncomfortable situation yeah. that I am still control of and can manage. Yeah. So, and, and I think that's something that industry does, you know, I, I try not to be like a, like a, I'm not a, definitely not a hater. I love this industry of, of oh, people yeah. and, and, and great, great folks, great gear out there even. And, and but one thing that I think um, obviously the industry does and it, it, you know, even our company is Fieldcraft Survival. You know, we highlight survival situations. Sure. It's not to necessarily glorify that thing or to say like, oh my God, the world is awful and you're going to die. And, you know, it's not about that, but it's, let me highlight this to show you why you need to know it. But I think that there's, and it kind of ties back to the clothing thing where maybe it's, it's not an intentional move, but I think that when you glorify something like that, people think that that's the only skill they have to know. 
they overlook a lot of the things that are very easily taken for granted that guys like you and I and anyone that goes out and does this on a regular basis um, take for granted, you know, and and it frustrates me because I feel like people even are getting off on the wrong foot as far as their preparedness goes, getting the right equipment, buying the right clothing and taking the right training and getting the right, correct, most correct understandings because there's, there's never like, there is no never and there is no always, right? But it's like very few times where people actually, even in the general direction of the right solution, because there's multiple solutions. So it's like, let's, I feel a conviction and an obligation to try to give people the most correct information as that applies. I don't, I don't know what your experience has been in, through industry and in that putting out stupid information, but you know, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Well, there's definitely a lot of stupid information out there in the industry. And it's, <laughs> and it's basically talk, the, the people that talk the most and talk the loudest, generally speaking, have, have the least amount of experience. Now that's not completely true. You guys speak, so I'm not talking about you per se, but the guys out there beating their chest or, or gals, you know, yeah. um, I've, I've had the pleasure, I guess, of living through a couple natural disasters, like true natural disasters. So I was in the Philippines in 91 when Mount Pinatubo oh, wow. erupted. And I mean, dude, it leveled the base. There was no infrastructure. The fucking military was out. We were on an island. Like it was yeah. fucking legit, right? <laughs> and it was, it's one of the best memories I've got, you know, from that time frame of my life. But, um, but you start to realize that, you know, uh, at a certain point, like you, you are your own self-rescue. I think there's yeah. a phrase out there, yeah. something, something like that, you know. Um, but, you know, those folks that were stuck on the 95 on the on the West Coast yep. in their car. Right. If they didn't if they weren't prepared, if they didn't understand how the body loses heat, and how to mitigate that and, and et cetera, et cetera. That probably was a, quote, survival situation for some people. And for others, it was just a fucking inconvenience, right? You get a hurricane, wipes out New Orleans, or shuts the power grid down, or what happened in Texas a couple of years ago, and all of a sudden you can't drink your own water out of the faucet because it's yeah. somehow now potentially contaminated. Like those are those are probably where most people are going to end up in, yeah. uh, you know, quote more survival situations where, damn, I don't know how to purify water, I don't know how to start a fire, I don't know how to fucking stay warm or keep my, keep my kids warmer. You know, what do I do? Um, that's where you're thrust into it. When you're in the mountains, you know, what I call the mountains, backcountry wilderness, like most of the time, unless something super catastrophic like that happens, you have the capacity to manage the situation. Yes. And, and, and having the skill sets, you know, if it does go completely sideways, but the reality is you never want to get to that point. Yeah. You know, you just, you never want to get to that point. And I think the more experienced you are, you're like, oh, I, I know, you know, you know, five years ago, I'd have thought I was on the edge. And now I realize I'm not mm -hmm. right. And so that's where it kind of ebbs and flows with the, yeah. with the experience. And uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I, I won't say too much about the industry. <laughs> there, there's, there's, let's just put it this way. There's a couple you know, there's, there's always like everything, like most of it's shit. And there's a few that are really good. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I'm super stoked is like, you know, guys like us and we're getting out and we have all these real world experiences and we want to give back. Like, I think that there's probably, there's probably more information out there than ever. 
yeah, which is probably makes it difficult to sift through and find like yeah. the best. But there is some really good stuff out there now, yeah. you know, depending on what people are looking for. Yeah. And and I think also with that is that um, there are a lot of voices. There are a lot of people that are doing what they believe to be the most correct thing. Yeah. Even if they're lacking experience or even if they're lacking whatever it is. I don't know that there's very many people out there and I hope it didn't sound like I'm trying to sound malicious towards those people or that they're out there being maliciously no, you know, no. coming at people. But, you know, I think that what you have to use as part of your filter as someone that's new to this space is that you have to use your own experiences like we were talking about. Like if you hear somebody say something, you don't just take that shit right to the bank. Don't even take any video you see me do right to the bank. Don't like test it. Like, like you just said, I mean, it's one of our, it's literally like our, our slogan, man, is you are your own first response. Oh, so it's yeah, you guys. It's yeah. us, man. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. <laughs> but it's like, you have to actually take it upon yourself to, to say, well, I need to see if this is true. It's just like, like I was saying earlier, man, like you can't just read the tag on the bag or read the, the tag on the pair of boots or whatever and just say, oh, it does that. That's what I need. Right. It's, it's not that simple. You yep. owe it to yourself not just take everything to the bank and just say, Hey, let me figure out a little bit more about this. Now you take people's backgrounds, people's experiences. You can add that as, as a little bit more credibility. You can find credible sources out there, obviously, but you, you do need to filter the information that you're taking in through that. Yeah. And make sure it works for you. Like I, you know, I've, I've, I've talked about a few stoves like camp stoves that, you know, I don't, I don't use. Mm-hmm. And I, and I tell people why. But a lot of people use it. It's a very popular yeah. stove. I'm, I'm told, you're not going to piss me off if you use it. Yeah. Understand the limitations. Understand its capabilities. And if it works for you and what you need it to do, yeah. I'm totally fine with that. doesn't yeah. hurt my feelings at all. For me, for what I want, the performance I'm looking for, that doesn't work for me, right? Yeah. The environments I go, the way I do things, et cetera. Um, I, I got to be a little careful here. I, I want to be a little careful here, but... You know, there was there was an there was a an, an incident, I guess I'll call it, or an episode that that actually pissed me off to the point that I fucking got on social media. Mm-hmm. Which to actually get that to happen, <laughs> yeah, was was something for me, right? Because yeah. it was fucking the last thing I wanted to do was any of this shit. Yeah. Um, but the reason I got upset about it was because somebody had taken something that I had done and mm-hmm. talked about. So this, some of these exercises I do mm-hmm. and they had filmed it and publicized it, not for education purposes, mm. but for sale purposes, right? To sell their product with this, this exercise, <clears throat> which put people's, in my opinion, put people's lives in jeopardy. And the worst part was there were some military folks involved that were completely unaware that they were being used wow. and given poor training. Mm. And that's what that's what ultimately made me say, you know what, I can I can either sit here and be pissed about this. I can go home and shut the fuck up mm. or I can do something. Right. Yeah. And it was just to the point where I was like, this is dangerous information that is being put out now. And it's and it's it's. 
they were they did not see it that way, mm-hmm. but it was true. But the worst part was it was to make a fucking buck. Yeah. And I was like, if I don't step up, then I should never ever say anything about it again. Yeah. And so um that that that's where I get a little upset. You know, yeah. everybody else is probably even then somewhat naive to it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I think like platforms you guys have and like the experience, a collective fucking experience. I'm sure you've added up how many years. Yeah. Like it's just insane, bro. It is. It's you crazy. It, it's yeah. it's like getting a fucking master's program outdoor <laughs> yeah. education, you know? Yeah. And it, and man, it's, I, I feel, I feel fortunate to work here and be in an industry with guys like you and guys like our other, you know, survival guy, Kevin Estella. And there's tons of guys out there, man. And like, I feel like I'm, I just got lucky, man. Like right time, right place, right people yeah, got me, me here. But it's like, <laughs> dude, I'm like on the shoulders of giants, you know, where, where there's, there's other dudes that have, you know, two or three times my experience or 10 times my experience. It's crazy. And so when you cumulatively do look at that, man, it's like, we're a huge voice, right? Like we all have the access and placement now to really make a difference. And I think that that's like, you know, that's why you and I are even doing this podcast. You know, that's why you and I are on our own platforms on Instagram or YouTube or whatever, talking about the things we talk about. Because that, you know, for me, I, I just personally, I just want people to just be better, man. Like I want to get to a point where I don't have to go out on search and rescue every weekend or during the week and pull somebody out. And it's like, I get it. There's emergencies, there's accidents or whatever. But man, with just a little bit of information, 90% of those people would never even be in those circumstances, you know? And yeah, and I just, I want people to have the, that betterment to, to really just, and take the initiative on their, on their self to really just say, Hey, you know what? Like, just like what you said, man, like I can't like, like first responders, EMS, cops, search and rescue, whatever it is, you, you know what my job isn't to do? It's not to just save your ass because you're irresponsible. Now that's what it turns into most of the time. But it's really not our responsibility. It's your job. It's your responsibility as an individual to take care of your damn self. Yeah. And I, I try not I try to say that with as much humility as I can. I don't I don't mean to sound arrogant. I don't mean to sound like to be an asshole like or to talk down to anybody, but it is your responsibility to take care of yourself, man. It's my job in search and rescue to come out and get you when accidents happen, when mistakes are made. I get it. We all get it. We all like, man, all the guys I've ever worked with in EMS in the military. We sit ready all the time to go out and do these things because it's what we fucking love to do. But at the end of the day, man, it's on us. It's on me. It's on you. It's on Rob. It's on everybody else to just take care of ourselves, do what we can do to mitigate and take and do all the things of protecting ourselves, keep ourselves fed, keep ourselves alive, 98.6. And then when the, uh, the other catastrophic things happen, or whatever it is, that's where all this, this all other stuff falls into place, right? So you got to take this stuff seriously. You got to take your your preparedness for real. And it's like industry, it's not their job. It's not industry's job to no, give you not. all the things and to educate you and all the things, man. So it, but industry, in my opinion, has some obligation to at least give you the correct information. I think they have some the, responsibility. You know, yeah. and it's like at the end of the day, just falls back on you as the individual to do that. So I think, you know, there's a lot of systems out there for a lot of great things, but it doesn't mean that every system is the system for you. It just takes you getting that experience, takes you getting that will to just go out, evaluate yourself, evaluate your gear, 
and try to make yourself better for it. Right. So, man, I, gosh, I guess we've been going like probably an hour and a half or something. I don't know yet, but, um, you know, wrapping it up, what, what are some thoughts that you have around and what advice would you give to someone who's kind of new to this industry, new to this space, who wants to go out and recreate, uh, whether it's the mom wanting to go out and hike with her kids, whether it's the uh, guy who's f- just learning about getting into hunting and big game stuff, the guy that wants to go and, uh, you know, climb, do alpine climbing, whatever it is, outdoor recreation. What, what are some first steps that you would recommend for those people? So to me, the first one is vet the source of the information you get, right? Because there's a lot out there like we talked about. And, and there are some good, but it's in the minority. Yeah. So vet the source, right? Find somebody who you align with that's got some background that you think provides you value. The second one is fucking have patience with yourself, have patience with your partner, whatever. Yeah. Take your time and don't try to rush to like, what did you call it? The, the action figure in the video game, whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and be that guy right away and just fucking enjoy the journey. Yeah. Because it's awesome. Like some of my best memories are when I was bumbling my way through some of this shit because <laughs> it was memorable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, so just enjoy it. And, and then the last one is like, if you really want to be good at it, like if you want to, you want to, you know, if you aspire to be at a level like you guys at Fieldcraft, right. Or, or, or at like approach it like a student. Like I say, become a student of the game, right? And study it and really understand it. And don't take people's word for it. Take that as a maybe some direction or some guidance and then go try it for yourself, right? So what I know it works for me, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't work for everybody. And I'm okay with that. But find out what works for you. So have patience in doing that. And don't figure that you got to get it done in one season. And then I think you're really going to like open yourself up to, Mm -hmm. you know, having great experiences and having adventures and learning and, you know, taking two steps forward and one back and, yeah. and just, just, you know, relax. Yeah. You'll get there. Give yourself some grace, some forgiveness and all of it. Absolutely. You know, you know yeah. I, and I'll be honest, I didn't for a long time. Yeah. Not, not when I was a kid, but when I was kind of in the middle of this journey, I was, I was a harsh critic of myself. Yeah. I mean, definitely brutal. Right. Yeah. I'm not saying it was right or wrong, but in some regard, I wished I'd have been a little more gracious yeah. with myself. Yeah, I right? think there was a lot. I think I probably could have even learned more had I been a little exactly. more gracious to myself. Exactly. I was right yeah. there in that same boat where I, I held such a high standard for myself that I almost gave myself unrealistic expectations. And, you know, uh, you know that sock example, that's reality for me. I've done that a couple of times where I'm like, and, but I like, I'm out there like beating myself up about it. And I'm like, hey, man. Now we just dial it back a little bit and just enjoy the ride. Yeah. I, th- I think that's critical, man. Well, dude, I really appreciate your time. Tell, uh, tell me and everyone else where they can find you. Because I, I know you're doing your own. You just kind of have started into doing your own thing. Man. Yeah. So on Instagram, it's uh, at jbarklow. Okay. I have a website, knowledgefromstorms.com. Yeah. And then I have a YouTube channel with some videos on there, Knowledge From Storms, as well. Yeah. And, that, so, and that's kind of your initiative into this. That's kind of an initiative. And the knowledge from storms just talks to um, acquiring knowledge yeah. from a lot of shitty nights out <laughs> and a lot of, you know, cold, hungry days and uh, and just putting in your time and, and school hard knocks. And, and, and that's that's really how you acquire the knowledge and the wisdom. 
to, to become that student of the game, right? Yeah. To get where you want to go. Uh, there's no easy way. No. So, you know, don't think, man, this sucks. You think, yeah, this sucks, but man, I'm, I'm learning a lot from yeah. this right What now. an opportunity. And, and just like I said, like we just talked about, having some grace with yourself because yeah. of that, uh, I probably would have learned more and quicker <laughs> the, if I'd have been that way than, uh, than not. So, yeah. And then last, one more thing I just thought is, what's some stuff people can expect from Sitka uh, kind of <laughs> coming up? I, I got to asked a ton of questions. What, is there anything cool coming, like, you know, near future or now? Uh, man, there's there's a lot of – there's some insanely cool stuff we're mm-hmm. working on that mm-hmm. there's no way I could talk about. <laughs> I mean, if we were drinking right now, I might spill the beans, but we're not. So, um, let's see. So, I, I'll tell you that 2022 is done. Mm-hmm. And so, some of that will start launching here as early as next month. Awesome. Um, we're getting into a little bit of a, an adjacent – uh, uh, industry and in, within mm-hmm. hunting. Yeah. So that, that'll be new for us. Um, I, I'm really excited to talk about a few things coming up. We have some new active insulation coming out that I'm stoked about. Um, I'm, I've been working on some, some new wind stopper stuff that I've been mm-hmm. stoked about. You know, I mean, a lot of times I'll have this stuff for two or three years that I've been using and betting yeah. in the field. So, uh, awesome, but man. it's crazy. Gosh. But so 2022 is done. 2023 is done. Oh wow! Um, and I'm I'm right now we're we're in fall 24. Dang! So that's awesome. Yeah, so lots of goodies then. All yeah, lot, the things, lot, lots man. of good stuff. But yeah. but again, um, some of it's only going to make sense if you if you put a little time behind it to learn. Yeah, you know, to get the true value out of it. Yeah, absolutely cool, man. Well, John, really appreciate your time, man. Seriously. Yeah, it's been awesome. awesome. Uh, we got to do another one or another 10 yeah, days. Dude. You know? Yeah, let's do it. So for sure, man. So guys, it. go check out John, all his social accounts, knowledge from storms. Yeah. And uh, you guys will learn a ton from him. And I uh, appreciate you guys tuning in. Listen to me and John run our sucks for a little bit. Talk to you about some <laughs> of this stuff. So we'll catch you guys in the next one. I appreciate it.